We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! What's up and welcome to another BuzzBeat podcast. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped, Deal Dash, and Bet Online. This is Richie and I'll be joined by co-host Brian and Spencer as always. On today's episode, we had the chance to bring on Seku Smith. You can check him out and his work at NBA.com. Uh, in the episode, we get into the Hornets' young core, his thoughts on second-year coach James Borrego, and we even get into his ideas and thoughts on the conclusion of this NBA season down in Orlando. So let's go ahead and bring Seku on. All right, we wanted to welcome Seku Smith, one of the veterans of online NBA writing on the podcast today. You can find Seku and his work on NBA.com. He's even got his own podcast, The Hangtime Pod. He's got a series going on right now called The NBA Restart, breaking down all the 22 teams down in Orlando. Obviously, Hornets are not one of them, and he wants to kind of check out the chances with each of these teams down in the bubble. Seku, thanks for joining us, and, and how's everything going with you? Are you enjoying working from home? <laughs> I'm good, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Um, the, the first month or so of, uh, of the pandemic, work from home situation was pretty good. Um, my two oldest kids were off at school still. Um, so the house was nice and empty and I kind of had my run of the place, but man, these last few months, everybody at home on the wireless lights on every day. I mean, it's, we got, we got to get through this, um, because I don't know who's going to survive it. Me or them. It's going to be me or the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit more active in every household these days. To no be doubt. Sure. No doubt. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. feel the same way, getting a little bit more stir-crazy as the weeks go on. Um, so, like I mentioned, one team that's not going to be on your podcast, the NBA Restart Series, is the Charlotte Hornets. But we do want to talk about them uh, because we are a Charlotte Hornets podcast, and uh, it feels like way too often uh, the Hornets aren't really talked about on a national stage. Uh, they were, like, the first team out, which also seems to happen a lot in terms of being that 10th that team in the East. Charlotte finished with a record of 23-42, and 42, and Vegas actually projected them uh, to win 23 games, so they matched that total in a shortened season. So, Sekou, I think it's safe to say that this team did overachieve. When you think of the 2019-2020 Hornets season, What's your overall impression as it relates to the performance of this team and maybe how or why they were able to exceed these preseason expectations? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that the answer to that second question is Devontae Graham and certainly Terry Rozier had his moments uh -huh. and, and P.J. Washington. I just thought those three guys in particular 
all played above and beyond um, what they needed to to put that team in in a position to to do what they did. Um, I didn't think they'd be a playoff team. Obviously, um, you don't lose a player like Kemba and what Kemba meant to the franchise and come back and magically make the playoffs unless somebody plays way over their skis, unless something goes, you know, fantastically right for you that you didn't foresee. Uh, I, I do think that James Brago's got a tough task because you're trying to recreate a culture or something that Steve Clifford found when he was there and didn't find it consistently, not nearly consistently enough. So you're trying to recreate something that's, that hasn't really been there. Um, you're almost trying to, you know, pull all the sand together and make a sandcastle when it's it's been washed away time and again. I mean, it just, for whatever reasons, when you bet on your own guys and pay them big money and injuries or guys haven't developed the way you thought they would or they haven't performed to the level you want them to, now if you're James Brigger, you're trying to come up with something a unifying rallying, you know, mantra for this group. And that first year when you got the cast that they had this year is, is tough. Um, they were a competitive team though. I, I thought the thing you take away from it is there are some young pieces, interesting pieces to like of the newbies, you know, the new faces you see uh, on, on this Hornets team, as opposed to anything you might do with, with some of those holdovers. And obviously you guys saw how, what they did. I mean, a lot of guys who have been in Hornets uniforms for the past few years are no longer there. Um, it's, you know, you got to start fresh and turn the page at some point. And I think the building blocks, they have to do that now with Miles Bridges included, uh, are promising. Now, when you look at this, the point differential for Charlotte, they had the fourth worst point differential uh, in the league, yet they were third in the NBA in win differential behind the Lakers and the Nuggets. So basically they outplayed a lot of their efficiency stats and their, um, you know, some could probably argue that they were a little bit lucky at times. I think a big reason why they won four more games than they were expected to uh, was because of their performance in the clutch. They had the third best offensive rating in the clutch, seventh best net rating, and shot the ball the best out of any team in the NBA uh, behind the arc during crunch time. I actually asked James Borrego this question at the end of year press conference. And I wondered if losing Kimba Walker allowed him to be a little bit more creative in crunch time where teams couldn't key in on Kimba. Now, we all would love more talent on the roster with Kimba Walker, but do you think there's anything to that notion that a team that doesn't have a proven star and they're all just trying to make the right play and get the right shot maybe could perform better late in games? Or is that, is that notion just kind of crazy to think about? No, I'm, I'm a firm believer in democratic basketball. Um, I think the the league had become over-reliant on superstar hero ball, you know, in the previous era. I thought that the Golden State Warriors and kind of their rise changed that dynamic and, and encouraged that to be something different. And really, if you go back, the Spurs did that. You know, when they, when they battled the Miami Heat in the finals in back-to-back years, And that second year when they just played the prettiest brand of basketball a lot of us have ever seen in terms of ball movement, you know, and shot selection. That, to me, instituted kind of a different idea about how you do this. In a league where everybody's looking to isolate their main guy late in games to allow him to either make a play or or make a shot, when you don't have superstar anchors to do that, you have to come up with something different. I, I I like to see sets late in games. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that's a foreign concept a lot of times. Usually it's just <laughs> roll the ball out to your best player and tell them to make, make something happen. Um, there's nothing wrong with running a set. That's what these guys have been doing their whole life. And I think when you have a guy like Devontae, and I, I, I know, you know, you can put a lot on one guy, but just having Devontae Graham in those moments – a, a young player still proving himself in the league, but a guy who's been a lead guy and lead guard and a lead guy in high pressure situations like he was for so long at Kansas. Mm-hmm. I felt like he just looked really comfortable in those moments. And then Terry Rozier is a, he's a swashbuckler. He's going to play <laughs> guts out. And, you know, he, he's never going to be afraid of those big moments. Mm-hmm. Having two guys like that who, who basically always had the ball in their hands in those moments gave you an edge that, that not everybody in this league has because not everybody has guards 
who can operate at the, you know, in that manner. Yeah, that's a good point about Devontae's experience at, at KU. It's like it, him jumping into this role and closing out games, it it may have seemed new to, to observers from the outside, but it probably wasn't all totally foreign to him because he's closed out games at Fog Allen or, or on the road in the Big 12 or in the NCAA tournament or, or whatever. And, and it's interesting, too, to think about sort of like the late game sets versus, you know, spread pick and roll or ISO or whatever. It's like everyone's trying to get to the same spots on the court, just different ways to sort of like, you know, slice an apple. Support for BuzzBeat is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Listen, grooming below the belt shouldn't be taken lightly. You can't afford to nick yourself in the most sensitive parts. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. I have the Lawnmower 2.0, but they have come out with the new and improved and just released Lawnmower 3.0. Not only does the lawnmower reduce manscaping accidents, it has a battery that lasts 90 minutes. It's also water resistant if you prefer it in the shower. Plus, Manscaped has an upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Sorry, Richie, but I actually just received the newly released Lawnmower 3.0, and it's amazing. It's the Steph Curry of uh, trimmer technology, I guess. Uh, between the safety features and its convenient charging dock, I want all of our listeners to experience it firsthand. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BUZZ at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code B-U-Z-Z at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUZZ. But speaking of uh, James Borrego, uh, look, this staff was really brought in to, to develop the, the, this young group of t- talent on the roster. And we saw it with Devontae, PJ, um, you know, Miles Bridges, some good, some bad this season. Certainly Malik Monk did some things. Cody Martin really looked to uh, turn into a, a nice winning player as, a, as an older rookie this season, too. And I, I think in sports, sometimes we, we sort of like to overuse the phrase young core, right? It's just like every team who's in a development stage likes to use that sort of moniker to brand and to sell youth and hope and whether it's, you know, valid or, or not, who knows? I think about like those post Kobe pre LeBron Lakers teams with, with Lonzo and Ingram and Hart and that Ooh. team totally called the young core all the time, whatever. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, do you think it's legitimate to state in Charlotte that, that this Hornets roster in fact has a young core that, that this is something that they can build on as opposed to, oh, this is just a, a couple of young guys they have that are relatively talented, but nothing, you know, but maybe nothing extreme or nothing, you know, that's going to turn a corner for a franchise that just happened to be on rookie contracts at the same time. That's a good question because not every young core <clears throat> deserves that kind of, you know, attention. Sometimes you just got a bunch of young guys and, you're still sorting through them, trying to figure out, you know, who are keepers and who aren't. Um, now, full disclosure, I went to high school with P.J. Washington's father and his aunt. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where his dad's family is from. Huh. Um, so I, I've known the Washingtons for for years. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm bullish on P.J., you know, yes. just on genes alone i mean mm-hmm. i know he comes from good stock yeah um you know i thought he was an underrated guy honestly um mm-hmm. when yeah. he came into the league last year and this was before he went out open night, shot all those threes and freaked everybody out you know and people were ready to give him rookie of the year and all that <laughs> stuff um, but in my mind young players you've either got one of two types of young guys you either got those young guys like the Lakers had who are long-term projects that you're not sure if they're going to hit on the very high side of their potential. Like if they're going to hit those ceilings, if, if Ingram and Lonzo, you know, and all these guys are going to hit on the high side, then you got a chance to build a young championship core of players with that group. The other thing you might have is workers. 
you might have worker bees. And to me, that's what they're working with right now in Charlotte. They might not have the guy who's going to be their, their star anchor player at some point. And I, and I liken it to what Atlanta did when they piled up a bunch of young players, you know, Josh Childress, Josh Smith, you know, Al Horford, all those guys. But the, you know, the, 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 the guy who really made him go was Joe Johnson. He was a free agent that they had to go get in a sign and trade that everybody knows how that blew up an organization and all that stuff. But, <laughs> you know, you, you, sometimes your young core is one thing. And then the player that moves you to that next phase is a free agent acquisition. It's not necessarily going to be the young superstar that you draft. I don't know how many times I have to explain it to people how hard it is to do what the Warriors did, which is they got their core pieces in, in drafts. It's like mm-hmm. what the Thunder did. They got their core pieces. They went to the finals, you know, in, in Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. They drafted them all. Serge Ibaka. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. go back in the history of the league and look at teams that make it to the finals even. Not win a championship, just make it to the finals. And how many of them are pieced together through all these different methods? Never... It's very rare that you draft a core group that, that leads you to championships. Um, so, you know, to me, what, what you've got is young, promising pieces. And now the, the real work begins because the new vanguard in this league is player development. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't develop them, if they're not being developed properly over the course of three to four seasons, you're never going to get a chance to see what they look like on their high side. Um, and that's where the Hornets have to be mindful of the fact that Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington in a lot of systems would be a re- you know, redundant. They would be the same type of player. They would play the same position, occupy the same spaces on the floor, and, and basically have the same function. If you're going to be really good, you're going to have to find a way for one of those guys to play outside of whatever the mold that he would normally play. And they've got to complement each other along with an undersized backcourt. And then you really don't know yet who or what's going to be your salvation, you know, in terms of uh, a post presence slash a stretch five, whatever you're going to have as that big guy in that group, you got to find one. But what I do like about them is they have kind of a, a lunch pail mentality about him as a group you know Devonte is a guy who for all he did in college he didn't come into the league with a silver spoon he wasn't a lottery pick he wasn't a guy who's you know people predict to start him for him pj washington's a guy who's you know probably felt he should have been drafted higher than he was and probably wanted to come out of school a year earlier than he did you know i mean you got all yeah. all these things that should be fueling their fire same for miles bridges uh, you know when you dominate the competition in high school and then you go to college and you're a star, you expect to be a rookie of the year, the guy who everybody's talking about as an all-star and and he's not getting that kind of buzz right now. So for them to, if, if I'm the Hornets, I'm feeding them a daily dose of people don't respect you. Nobody thinks you guys are as good as you're going to be. And, and you know, it's up to you to go out, put in the work to prove them wrong in this league. I, I can't tell you how many times over the past you know, 19, 20 years that I've seen that work as magic fuel for young players to continue to get better and better. And, you know, you look up before you know it, they're a problem. You know, they a core group of guys like that with chips on their shoulders become a problem. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code BUZZ or DealDash.FM slash buzz. 
That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash buzz. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they have to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, the I know Richie and Spencer can speak to this too. Uh, the term player development is used frequently from members in and around the Hornets. Uh, it is it's what they're selling, and it doesn't feel like um, you know it feels like there's it's not just sizzle. Like there's some some stake to that as as well too. I appreciate the uh, the worker bee analogy as well too, while describing the uh, the Hornets uh, <laughs> young core. Yeah, I appreciate that as well too. And it's interesting too because it's like these 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 Laker young guys. Like it does look like long term they're gonna they're gonna turn out and could be you know really the a solid foundation for a title contending team eventually you know if, if things go well with zion in new orleans it's just gonna be for a different franchise you know not yeah. not not where they were initially assembled charlotte averaged about 96 possessions per game this season um 15 seconds for offensive possession overall 18 seconds for offensive possession after a made opponent field goal all of those uh ranked 30th dead last in the nba but they took good shots too. You know, 30, 38% of their field goal attempts at the rim, 37% of their field goal attempts were threes, both those top 10 marks in the league. Outside of the obvious, and maybe we've, we've hit on some of this already, but sort of outside of the obvious, you know, really DG, Devontae Graham, pick and roll playmaking. What did you, what did you sort of like or dislike with uh, James Borrego's offense uh, during the, you know, sort of like year one of a rebuild? Well, I mean, so much of what you do offensively in this league is based on your personnel. Um, if you don't have a, a six five to six eight wing score who can, you know, look at the elite teams in this league, um, and I mean the elite, the, the best offensive team in the league has a six eight two hundred twenty five pound, you know, bull who can get to the rim whenever he wants to, can step back and shoot threes. Um, you know, if if your offensive Catalyst isn't a guy that's able to create for himself and other people with that kind of size, with that James Harden, 6'5", to, you know, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you know, even Pascal Siakam in Toronto showed you. I mean, you if you're not working with guys that fit those dimensions in this league right now, it becomes a struggle. It becomes a tougher thing to do. And if you don't have... Uh, uh, you know, a cadre of shooters that you can space all over the floor, it becomes extremely difficult. Think about, and I'm going around the way here to, to make this point, but think about how tough it is for a team like Philadelphia to score, you know, with, with Ben Simmons, a non-shooter, as talented as he is, you know, an all-star and one of the most freakish players in the league. But if you don't have a consistent creator and jump shooter as, as your offensive catalyst, as the guy who's got the ball in his hands and is basically the conduit for everything else you do on the floor, it becomes really difficult just to, to manufacture what we saw in different eras when you were feeding the ball inside and playing inside out or you had a big man you could play around. Um, so I think, you know, if you look at the offense they, they had this year, that was – getting comfortable with two new guys as, as your primary ball handlers and without the benefit of that perimeter score shot creator who was going to take the pressure off everybody else by being a guy that manufactures offense for you when nobody else can. Um, so I, I would be less, you know, you can, you look at the numbers and say, Oh man, you know, well, this is a team that's not operating with an incumbent superstar leading score on their team. Who was who was the returning leading scorer on this on this Hornets team 
after free agency last summer and Kimba goes to Boston. You know, you start asking yourself, what do you have coming back that you could build around? It should have been should have been Cody Zeller, right? It should have been somebody who's been in the program for a few years that you could kind of lean on and build around. You didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes it a lot more difficult. That's why, you know, John Schumann and I uh, argue all the time because Shu is, you know, Shu's got numbers pouring out of his ears at all hours of the night. And I'm always, <laughs> I'm always arguing to him about you hear, you hear coaches talk about and you hear executives sometimes talk about the spirit a team plays with. Mm-hmm. And the spirit isn't just your attitude or the energy you play with. Sometimes it's the flow. It's like, does your team understand what makes it tick as a, you know, that makes them tick as a group? And are they willing to surrender whatever their ambitions are to make sure they play to that? Mm-hmm. I think this was a year where you're understanding maybe Miles Bridges and, and PJ and these other guys are understanding, all right, the engine of, of what we're going to do lies in, in Devonte and or Terry. And you'll see this year, a much more fluid offense based on these guys having a season or however 60 some games mm-hmm. to figure that out. And then coming back with a fresh training camp and recognizing if we want to be successful, this is how our offense has to flow. This is how we have to play. And that'll be up to James Rago and his staff to drive that point home in film study and everything else, which we know the metrics that players and, and teams are consuming now is beyond the scope of whatever we imagined a generation ago. So these guys are going to have all that information at their fingertips. It's just about now convincing them all to play to that strength. Love it. Love that. So Sekou, I'm, I'm curious because uh, kind of in between the lines there, you were talking a lot about Devonte Graham and, I think he's a very worthy, most improved player candidate uh, for the nineteen twenty season. I, I've seen I, I, the majority, I guess, um, of, of national NBA personalities kind of dismiss him. I think most of that is because of there's just no baseline to go off of, right? From his first season, rookie season, where he only played six hundred and sixty-seven uh, uh, minutes. But I mean, do you think that? that this guy in his sample size um, and he played I think in the top five minutes uh, this past season before the, the, you know, the season got cut short there and became one of the most lethal off the dribble bombers in the entire league. I mean, he's up there with, with Harden and Dame Lillard. I mean, it's just really incredible. And it's, it's unprecedented what he did in terms of bursting onto the scene from a shooting perspective. So do you think that he is a, a legit most improved player candidate? Yeah, I mean, and I think if there were five slots in that category on your ballot, he's probably in the fourth or fifth spot. Mm-hmm. But you got to think about who else made quantum leaps, you know, even even from much more productive seasons last year to what they're doing this year. Uh-huh. I mean, you could legitimately <laughs> – this is this ridiculous thing about the talent that's in the league right now. You could legitimately say Giannis, Luka, Luka Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram, like guys who've been all stars, they they could all be on your ballot, and you Mm -hmm. wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the context sometimes that you have to keep in mind when you're voting on these things. Um, I was filling my ballot out last week, and you know, the the rookie of the year situation was funny to me because you forget who started off hot who kind of faded a little bit as the year goes on, but you got to fill out not only rookie year, but you got to fill out that all rookie team. Mm-hmm. So you start, you know, studying it a little deeper and the same goes for most improved. It's funny. I I'm texting back and forth with some other guys. I'm not going to give you their name. I'm not going to out of them <laughs> <laughs> you that they were stumped on most improved because yeah. a lot of times as a voter, you don't want to, you don't want to put Luca on there. You don't want to put the, obvious, yeah. yeah. You know, guy who's gone from a, a runaway rookie of the year to MVP candidate. Well, to some people are like, no, that doesn't make sense. But <laughs> that's a hell of an improvement. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go from, from there to that next level is amazing in your second year in the league. So I think there are guys who would probably push him down the list a little bit, but he would definitely be in your top five. If you're just looking at opportunity, you know, minutes and production from last season to this one, I can't imagine you having it, somebody that has a, a better argument to be on the list. Right. Uh, yeah. Just 
from that perspective. The, the fluidity of that award is so funny too, because it's yeah. like the fact that Pascal Siakam is like, should I mean, I'm not, maybe Bam is the front runner or Brandon Ingram right. or whatever, but it's like Siakam has just almost as good of a case and he won the award last season. It's just so funny to see yeah. like where the baseline and, and sort of like where the goalposts for that move almost year to year while the talent is also getting better too. It was well, like, yeah, I remember yeah. that was an award nobody wanted to win, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Around and 2003, 2004, guys would win, you know, whoever won that award would be running away from it the next year. <laughs> like they, they, because they wanted to feel like they had arrived, you know. You yeah, wanna, right. Wanna, it's kind of like um, the six man, you know, the, until Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams started passing it back and forth between each other. You didn't want to win that thing more than once. Like you wanted to win mm-hmm. six men a year, and then you want to be a starter, and you want to be an all. Yeah, that was kind of this natural progression. But I, I just think again, guys, guys come into the league, and you know, there, there's a station for you. There's a space that you have to carve out as a rookie, and it's not always ideal. It's not always the best situation for guards. If you come in and you don't, you're not a lottery pick point guard or a runaway, you know, dominant player right away in whatever situation you're in, you, you tend to have to do what Devontae did. You got to wait for an opportunity mm-hmm. and, and have your game sharp and then go off when you get, get a chance. I mean, and if you, and if you make those kinds of leaps in terms of the, the production and the game, like you can look at him and tell how much more comfortable he was, how much better he was when you start dropping 40 point games or doing crazy stuff, Yeah, you know, in, in this league, that's not by. That's not a mistake. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Not not in this league. That's not. You know, the insanity only happens once in a lifetime. Yeah, you know, where the guy just yeah. goes off for however long and then fades. You know, back to whatever's normal. Um, I think Devontae's going to have a chance to be a really really good player in this league for for years to come because he's playing a prime position and he's a technician. He's a guy who's had a ton of experience yeah. with the ball in his hands. Think about when he at, in college. He had another All-American guard in the backcourt. Frank Mason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had yeah. another NBA player that mm-hmm. was playing alongside in college, and both those guys got invaluable experience mm-hmm. doing what Devontae's doing now, which is having to play off of another ball-dominant guy yeah. and, and making sure you get yours. So he's he's had some really good training for the role he's in now. But just the, I mean, you, you brought up Giannis in the most improved you know, player conversation. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that that name even came up, it's just like a testament to yeah. you know, how volatile and how mm-hmm. wide ranging, you know, the, the candidates are. I was thinking today, I was like, it's almost like we need like a breakthrough player of the year or something like that. <laughs> you know, they, they like yeah. delineates the difference between these, yeah. these, two, these two. Because, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm certainly... Um, Bias, but I, th- I think Devontae should be right at the top of that list. But let's let's uh, let's talk about another another young player that Charlotte has who has not ever consistently shown um, real promise in Charlotte. But I thought that his best, I mean, certainly his best uh, games since being a pro, Malik Monk came in that like late January, February, early March um, time span this this past year. He was really, really good at the rim this past season, which we didn't see at all from him, you know, in seasons past. Um, I thought he started competing defensively. Uh, that, that was evident. He just played like he had a chip on his shoulder. Again, take you've talked about it. Some of those things you really can't measure, but you could just see it on the screen. You could tell that this guy uh, was about to turn a corner, and then he gets the suspension even before uh, the pandemic hit and the, and the rug kind of gets pulled out right from under his feet. So I'm curious, though, because Monk is extension eligible, and I think there's an opportunity here, in my opinion, for Charlotte to go ahead and get him under contract for a very, again, my opinion, a valuable price, although I know he hadn't shown a lot in the league. But I haven't seen, you know, seen a lot of people talking about this. Do you think that the Hornets should go ahead with all the cap flexibility they have moving forward to go ahead and just lock down Monk and double down? on him now that he's extension eligible also understanding he hasn't done much in the NBA since, uh, since he's been here. Yeah. He's a tough one. Um, because you know, he's talented. Um, I don't think that's debatable. And, and you, you know, he's got that skill that, that you desperately need. I mean, even though he had, like you said, he hasn't shown it consistently yet. Um, 
I don't know if I would do that, though, if I'm the Hornets. I'm not sure. Based on some of the young guys I have now and whatever I'm planning to do, you know, whatever my whatever my pro personnel people are doing in terms of looking around the league and trying to find, which is my favorite thing about the NBA, by the way, is your advanced scouts and your, you know, and your pro personnel people, they know the league better than anybody else. If you ever get a chance to sit down with them, you know, in a press room or on the road somewhere and you see them and you, you know these guys, they can tell you about the 11th dude on, on somebody else's bench that would be perfect for their team. Um, and, and I'm not so sure that if you're the Hornets right now, you, you, you refrain from doing anything long-term with Monk because you might think that you can find a better piece that fits in with the other guys you have right now that you're trying to build around. I, I, to me, if you don't pop in your first couple of years, with an op, you know, and if you've had an opportunity to like to to get in a rotation and get minutes, like if you if you haven't built build your strength up enough or stay disciplined enough to what the coaches are asking you to do, if you haven't found a way to really pop after two years in this league, that's a red flag, not just for the team, but for you as a player. Like if you're talented enough and you know what you know, where you stand in terms of the talent. Like if you're good enough to be on the floor and in a rotation in this league and you haven't seen it in the first couple of years, you better, you, it's time to start looking in the mirror and ask yourself, all right, it's not about my opportunity. It's not about the coach not liking me. What am, what have I not done to take advantage of this opportunity or put myself in a more advantageous position? And I think that's where I'm, I'm wondering what kind of soul searching Malik Monk is doing about his status with the Hornets right now, because this is probably not a position he thought he'd be in, um, given his pedigree, yeah. you know, what he did before he got to the league. You know, he was seen as a guy who would be ideal for today's NBA. Yeah. Um, a guy who could get get his shot off basically from anywhere on the floor um, and had, had played at, in a high level, a high pressure program in college. And I'm here to tell you, like, think about the names of young players we would associate with his class, his high school class and where they are now. His name, his name won't come up. He's not a guy that's, that's top mm-hmm. of mind when you think about, and I'm just talking about the league. You, you get a chance to watch mm-hmm. it much differently being, you know, being there and being locked in on the Hornets the way you are. I'm talking about from a broader league perspective. Yeah. His name's not coming up. So yeah. if I'm the Hornets, I don't know that I'm going to go pushing that envelope against, you know, really against my, by myself. I'm like, right. there's no market driving it. I think yeah. it's smarter to maybe wait and see exactly what you got. Cause does he fit in that rotation? Think about your guards you got now. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't what, know. yeah, I, I mean, I think that like the bigger thing, Seku is that this roster, as we've all talked about already is so void of this, like next level. Um, like how many guys can take that next step into like, Oh, now are we like scratching on all-star talent kind of players? And I think Monk is one of those guys on this roster. So it's it's this emotional tug of war where like we haven't seen it enough and now we have a drug suspension and now we just like really don't know how much we can trust and buy into you. But at the same time, like we're this small market with, you know, it, it, sometimes it just feels like we're working off the scrap people all the time. So like, should we just double down on this guy? Because we just don't have many people like that many players like that in the pipeline. So, and so that's why I asked the question. I I think it's fascinating though, because I do think the Hornets could get him back on a pretty low extension that he would need to sign the ink on for his own reasons, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And look, this is a league where you can go back and trace these, that very decision. Like you bet on a young guy that maybe hasn't done what you thought he'd do when he hits that point, you know, when he's extension, eligible uh-huh. and there was a time when teams it seemed like teams picked up options and did it every time like it was it was an era when it seemed like that was happening all the time whether the guy really had established himself or not and that's how teams have gotten into those situations where they look up and go look at our books you know because you a lot of times you can it's a dangerous thing betting on on your own talent sometimes if you haven't really vetted them the way you need to and this happens to good organizations. Think about the money Miami had on the books last season. 
Yeah, yeah. Tyler <laughs> yeah. Johnson and Dion Waiters and guys that yeah, yeah with yeah. guys that they bet on for whatever reasons. James Johnson absolutely did not fit what the what the current vision of their team looks like. So it happens that you know it, it's a dilemma that every franchise has to face. Um, this is when your your GM and your front office people earn their money because as much as as much as we like to think this league is about you know, you lining up in the draft and, and getting lucky and Kevin Durant or LeBron or somebody falling in your lap. It's much more about those simple decisions you make on do you do you rock with Bam Adebayo or do you keep Hassan Whiteside in a in a spot that Bam has clearly outplayed him for? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the are you yeah. betting on your young talent, the right talent, you know, at the right times, or are you I mean, I, my, one of my favorite stories that that I heard Antoine Walker talking about the other day, he's talking about Rick, he was on a, I think it was a Knuckleheads podcast, he was talking about Rick Pitino. And he's like, you know, he's like, bro, we traded Chauncey Billups. You know, he started talking about, <laughs> you know, how quick an, an organization can abandon its own talent, mm-hmm. you know, in favor of, hey, I want to win right now, win right now, and I want guys to be here right now. Sometimes... You have to you have to gamble. You have to roll those dice to see does this guy live up to whatever my expect my expectation for him might be, or is he? Did we maybe make an error? Did we did we evaluate him and, and bet on the high side and and come to find out he doesn't have the makeup or he's not the right piece in our organization at this time? So it's tough. It, I think it's it's one of those things where every franchise in this league has to decide. Are you going to rock with your guy the way Toronto did with Pascal Siakam, and and watch him develop, and you know, and feed him slowly, and you know, give him enough of an opportunity that keeps him grinding and working the way he did, or do you bet on some guys and then you find out very quickly that that you know they're yeah. not going to be worth the investment, not the money, but the investment you've made in keeping them on your roster. Because I, I think every guy's worth whatever he gets from a financial perspective. But the investment that you make in a guy, it's not just about money. It's about what, you know, you, you investing in a guy being a part of your franchise, being a building block of your franchise when you talk about a multi-year extension off of a rookie deal. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a difficult decision come this summer. They want to sign them to that extension prior to the next season. I see your point. Like, he really hasn't hit uh, in this league. Um, there's small samples here and there from Leak Monk where you're excited about him. We do have several more questions before we get out of here. Seiko. I want to shift the conversation to the national stage, NBA level down in Orlando. We've all watched these scrimmages and seen the different environment down there. The you know the plain Jane court, uh, the LED boards on the side with all the animations and the chants. But clearly, this is a neutral site. And removing home court advantage, do you believe that's going to have any kind of effect on the playoffs? And I, I feel like some players even feed off the energy of playing on the road. Is there anything that you can point to that would affect the outcome of these games? Or do you think talent's just going to win out here on this neutral bubble side? You no, know, I, I listen, I think it has to have some impact because we've never seen a, a playoffs conducted this way. So we're going to find out if these teams that are really good on their home court in the playoffs traditionally, you know, based on this season or based on recent seasons, like how much does that impact your, your ability to win in these situations. We just kind of assumed, you know, I think we've all always assumed that home court was so important because of this, this idea, oh, you got to get a game, you know, you got to get home court so you can have a game seven, mm-hmm. you know, on your floor. And it's like, how many of these series go to game sevens? And how many champions end up having to win games, crucial season-defining games in the playoffs on the road. Happens all the time. So I think this is less about talent shining through and more about discipline shining through. We're going to find out which group of these, you know, 16 playoff teams, which group is the most disciplined because that's going to be what separates you, I think, in this bubble. And I'm going down in a few weeks. I'm Mm -hmm. going down in the the next month until it's over, until the final's over. And I'm only going to be there for half the time, basically. And I'm dreading <laughs> how do you stay focused and locked in Yeah. In, in that bubble environment. Can you imagine if you're one of these teams that 
you showed up in mid July and you're trying to play all the way till October. That's going to take, I mean, you can have all the talent in the world. You're going to need some luck. Yeah. You're going to need some serious stamina and you're going to have to have some collective discipline that you've never exhibited before because you don't have the luxury of going back home and Mm -hmm. the home environment and, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. the the rims that you're playing. I mean, that is gone. That, that part of this playoff dynamic is gone. And I think, I think it's fantastic that it's gone for everybody because we're going to get a, we're going to get a playoffs. That's, that's something we're all used to all the elements of their environment are going to come into play for everybody. It's going to be the same. Everybody's dealing with the same thing. They're all sleeping in a room that that's not their room. Mm-hmm. It, it's everything's a road game right now for everybody. And I think that's cool. Right. I was listening to your podcast with uh, Jim Jackson the other day, uh, and he was talking about how there's going to be an asterisk on this season, but not because it's going to be uh, you know invalidated, but because these teams are going to have to work harder, stay disciplined and be focused. Just like you just said. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, everybody keeps talking about that. Well, you know, it's not a real championship. I don't remember saying that in any shortened season that that's going on since I've been around the league. I mean, man, it, I don't know if people understand that either, how difficult it is to play to the last day of the season. Um, and these teams that do it year after year, like yeah. Cleveland to do it and Miami to do it, you know, LeBron to do it, eight straight years. I don't even, I don't know if people realize how preposterous that is. Yeah. Like how ridiculous a thing that is mm-hmm. to to be on the court the last game of the season every year for <laughs> you know so to do that now in this environment with so much uncertainty um you know with with can you imagine how your mind is racing if you're down there worried about getting this championship and we don't know what the state of the country will be mm-hmm. in September and October we have no idea um yeah. I mean, there's a lot on it. I, I think Jay Jack was right, and I and I anybody else who says it, there's an asterisk for sure on this season, and it is a it's a medal of honor, right, for whoever snaps that Larry O'Brien trophy. I don't care what you say. Agreed. There's so many new variables and, and hurdles to uh, clear this year. I've been asked by a couple people, like you know, who do you what team do you think is best positioned for to be down in the bubble? And for me, it's just like. Whoever gets the, the most injury luck seems like that's probably the team that's going to be the, the, the teams with the most talented and those that can avoid uh, serious injuries. But um, you know, sticking with the bubble concept, there's an article that was posted uh, last night or Tuesday night um, by Tim Bontemps over on, on ESPN.com. And I think it's an idea that's probably been floating around in everyone's head the last couple of weeks. If you've been keeping up with the NBA, you're seeing the success of the bubble leagues like the NBA WNBA, NWSL, uh, MLS, maybe now the NHL compared to some of the struggles that are now happening with Major League Baseball. Um, And the NBPA Executive Director, Michelle Roberts, who's down in the bubble right now, um, you know, she was quoted as saying, quote, if tomorrow looks like today, uh, you know, I don't know if we can do it any differently, end quote, uh, about the sort of like the need to return to the bubble for next season. and it's something that has to be going around in your mind, like given the state of, of, of COVID of, of C-19 in, in America, like it's not slowing down right now. Right. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on the feasibility for a bubble next season? Like there's, we know the focus for the league. Woj came out and tweeted about this today. Like there's, there's the, the focus is to have fans in the stands next season, um, which like, I, you know, we'll see. Um, but do you think, could you see perhaps a shortened season or things being divided up into regional pods and, and, you know, teams going in and out of the bubble? What do you, can you, can you sort of visualize that at all for next season? Do you think it's a realistic possibility? I don't, I don't know if I think it's a realistic possibility as much as I think it would be a, a necessity. necessity. Yeah. Got completely out of control on a health and safety front. Um, I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention in, in my science classes in high school to know exactly <laughs> where, you know, I'm, I'm catching up on all of the, the medical information. Like, you know, I, I read a really interesting um, story about the Spanish flu of 1918 um, and the, the parallels for what went on then with what we're dealing with now are, are striking when you read, you know, when you read this and kind of re- refer back to it and, Think about the dealing, you know, what we're dealing with now here, you know, in, in the summer of 2020. So, so much of next season in the NBA and anywhere in any other league 
is dependent on how we handle the pandemic, how we, how we, you know, we as a country, uh, the government leaders around, you know, in, in all states, everywhere, it's, it's whether or not you can fight, fight back the, you know, the aggressiveness of this pandemic that nobody had, think about it, nobody had the right answers for it for the first 60 days we heard about it. You know, it was, nobody knew. So I could, I, you know, when I first heard of the concept though, of the, the, you know, everybody thought we might have two sites, you know, one East, one West to resume this season or a playoffs or whatever. That made the most sense to me. And it's something you could do. If, if forced, you, you know, you could do it just from a playing standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, I absolutely do not think you could do this again. You're asking the owners to take too big a bath um, to not have a, a arena revenue concession. You know, I mean, think of all the money that's not there if you were to have to go the end of one season in the playoffs and then another whole season or the start of another whole season without your, your normal function. I just don't know financially how you could make that work. Yeah, it's going to be a conversation that um, continues for for quite a while now. And then you consider the China story that came out from ESPN a little bit ago and the salary cap implications that that could have. And the NBA has got some things to figure out right now from a financial perspective. And they're not alone in that pond, but it is, uh, it's, it's probably going to get uglier before it gets better. So let's let's stay on the financial uh, conversation real quick here, Sekou, but uh, talk about the Hornets specifically. They have a lot of different directions they can go in here this offseason. And I think it's, it's certainly, from my perspective, uh, one of the more exciting things about this team in a while <laughs> since, uh, you know, what we were going to do with Kimball Walker. But they could take on long-term money. They're, they're going to have anywhere from probably 17 to $25 million in space this summer. Um so they could take on long-term money and bad deals in a trade. They got two expiring contracts, Cody Zeller and Bismuth, or excuse me. And, uh, Batum? sorry, I just had a, Nick yeah, Batum. Yeah. Nick Batum. I just had a brain fart there. I'm sorry. Um, they could spend that money on one player. I think Christian Woods, a popular uh, name that we've seen Montrez Harrell, another one. Uh, and they need help in the center to be sure, or they could, uh, they could use that on like two mid-level guys. So, what do you see, in your opinion, as maybe the best route for the Hornets to take right now with this cap space they have this summer and then even more going forward? Yeah, I mean, look, cap space is fantastic. It's it's wonderful to have until you realize you got to convince somebody to come take it. And and that somebody might not always turn out to be, you know, the option number one that you had, you know, on, on your list. Guy like Montrezl, you know, and I don't like prognosticating about – stuff like this just you know for the sake of it but you guys know his his roots and i mean you, to me in this day and age you're always looking for what kind of connection you might have how you know what would tug at a guy in terms of coming to play for a specific franchise the hornets have a history of that as well just to yeah that real quick <laughs> yeah i mean you know you so you have to factor all that in i don't you know i'm to me i'm much more Interested to see what goes goes their way in the draft, as than I am with what they do with the with their money and free agency. Because I think you need to be wise, kind of like what Atlanta is doing now. They haven't really taken that deep dive into free agency yet, and they've got young players that they, you know, a young superstar potentially in Trey Young. Um, to me, you you may be well, you're a little more cautious with your free agent dollars right now because if you get the right player in the draft, doesn't mean you get the number one pick either. It just means wherever you land in the in the lottery, if the right player is in you know is in that position where you can snatch him and you make him a, a part of your core, or he might be that star that you're missing, that that transcendent type talent you're missing, then that changes your calculus um, in terms of what you do in free agency. I think about what Memphis did. You know, now if you're going into the lottery last year, you're thinking if you're Memphis, you go, man, you know, get the number one pick, get a chance to take Zion. Everything's great. You know, the whole world is is in order. They get the number two pick. They take Ja. 
he ends up being rookie of the year. And now you got a, a young guy that you're basically building around for the next decade if he continues to do what we've seen him do so far. They got Brandon Clark in that draft, too. So exactly. that, was a, that was a pretty damn good draft for the well, uh, you, you picked Chris up Valanciunas before. You know what I mean? Like, so think about the things that have fallen into place. Tyce Jones, too. Yeah. Things yeah and all I, these yeah. different and things. That kind I of still love finish. what they did with, with Justice, Justice Winslow, too. I, I like yeah. that trade. I know it might not work out for them with his injuries, but I love that trade for them. Same here. To me, yeah. that's a much more pragmatic way of approaching it as opposed to just taking free agent dollars and throwing, yeah. throwing them in the wind. Because no offense to – you know, Montrez or Christian Wood or a lot of these guys are going to be available. Ultimately, this league is about superstars. You know, if you're talking about winning a championship level and then organizational courage and fortitude to believe in whatever your blueprint is and to stick to it. If you don't have those superstars, um, if you, you know, if you have the stars, you can have, the ultimate success, but it might be temporary. It only lasts as long as that player is there, healthy, mm-hmm. and able to, you know, produce at that superstar level. If you have that other thing, you know, if you have that other structural framework to build on, then you have a chance, no matter what players come through, you've got kind of a a, a blueprint to work with. And I and I, I make this joke to people all the time, especially my cousin, my Ohio cousins, I'm from Michigan, so my Ohio cousins who are, who are Ohio State grads and everything, which is sickening to me, by the way. Um, <laughs> they love to brag. They're, you know, they're, they're Cleveland, Clevelandites or Clevelanders, whatever they want to call themselves. And they love to brag about the Cavaliers. And I remind them all the time that they're, they're lucky that Gloria James yeah. lived in Akron. Yeah. Because if she lived in, in Boise, Idaho, yeah. <laughs> the last 17 years – don't don't exist yeah it's just sometimes it's just pure luck and you know a stroke of somebody else's genius that these things you know certain things fall in your lap and in the nba with the amount of time that you have as a as a front office to to craft (coughs) excuse me whatever it is you're trying to do you don't have forever Mm -hmm. you don't have this yeah you know infinite amount of time an owner Owner can own that team for as long as they want. Everybody else is on borrowed time. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we got one last question for you, Seku, and you don't have to think about it. Just a quick hitter question from a listener, and this is all time. Who is the first Hornet that comes to mind when we say the word Charlotte Hornets? Larry Johnson. Okay, that that would have been my bet too, Larry Johnson. Really? That's just my guy, and uh, yeah. I was a huge UNLV fan. When he was in college, I had a part down the middle of my head. You can go ask. <laughs> Anybody that knew me back then, it was it was over the top. But yeah, LJ's my guy. Did man. you have a gold tooth as well? No, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I, I didn't I didn't realize back then that you could pop them on and off. I'd have found one <laughs> if I'd have known that. All right. I definitely wanted to end with a comment from our listener of ours. He says that years ago, he used to listen to the Hang Time podcast with you and Rick Fox. He said that you used a term back in the day about the Charlotte Hornets and the Kings calling them the lottery mafia. And he actually later founded a website under that same name called the lottery mafia about NBA lottery teams. Uh, So he said he was a big inspiration or you were a big inspiration to him. And I just wanted to second that thought, Sekou. you were just even an inspiration for me to listen to podcasts and the hang time podcast. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the pod. We wanted to thank you again for coming on. Uh, if there's yeah. anything you're working on that you want to promote, the floor is yours. Yeah, man. You know, as always, we're, we're cranking on the hang time podcast. Um, we're going to have some good content from the bubble and then uh, stay tuned on NBA.com. Our whole staff is going to be doing a lot of stuff. Um, trying to see what we can make of, of this unprecedented yeah. you know, resumption of the NBA season and a championship like uh, as, as certain people in this country, like say now, like we've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well said. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.